What's up, everybody? I'm Ken Crump, and this is the Mainstream Evangelical Broadcast. Uh, we used to be the Positronic Drive TV broadcast, but I wanted to start to focus a little bit more on uh, the direction I wanted to go with this podcast and, and the direction I wanted to go with um, just what I feel God's telling me to minister and how to minister to people and, and what to do. We promote a balanced, mainstream view of evangelical Christianity without compromising the integrity of Scripture. We hope to provide a framework for evangelicals who reject the current evangelical path toward extremist ideology on both the far right and the far left. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, I went through a divorce, and after that, I walked away from my faith. I didn't stop believing in God, but I think there just becomes a point where you're just, um, when you go through enough uh, negative situations where you just get tired and worn out, and that's kind of what happened with me. Uh, but after a couple years, I realized I'd seen this movie before, I know how it ends, and I began a journey uh, to rebuild my faith. So I picked up the stones that built my house of faith, but I didn't use the same stones this time. I reevaluated my faith in light of Scripture again, and I let go of my certainty about my faith and took an objective look at everything. I asked myself, is this really what the Bible says? Uh, I just did naturally what we today call deconstruction. In my case, the deconstruction of evangelical Christianity. For, uh, for people, it might be something different. It might be a different type of Christianity and certainly you can de deconstruct other things. It doesn't necessarily have to be religion, but what we're talking about here is the deconstruction of evangelical Christianity. Um, after doing this, some people reject faith altogether. You know, they just walk away. They don't believe in God anymore. Uh, others are kind of out there in a... Uh, it's like they don't really not believe, but they don't really have any desire to pursue anything religious. Um, they're just not really sure, but they... They're, what they are sure of, they're disillusioned with church culture, at least their experience. Uh, others explore religions outside of Christianity. Some, beco some become what's called ex-evangelicals. Uh, so obviously they're, they're no longer, they no longer identify as evangelical Christians. Um, they, some become progressive Christians or done with church or just, like I said, the nuns who are just, just don't pursue religion at all. I chose to redefine evangelical rather than reject it. Why should I cede my faith to people who are promoting a distorted view of Christianity? And that's kind of why um, I wanted to go in this direction with this podcast. I want this to be an extension of who I am as a Christian and how I can minister to others out of what I've learned and what God's spoken to me. And, and some things, it's, it's, you know, take it for what it's worth, you know, listen to what, what I have to say, and if, if something you don't, um, you don't think is of value, that's fine, you know, but I think it's worth listening to, I think it's, uh, you, know, you know, there's a lot of struggle uh, whenever you deconstruct, um, I chose to also not just deconstruct, but reconstruct, and, and to make sure I build the, 
the foundation of my faith on a solid foundation on the rock and not on the, the, the sifting sand. Um, I held on to the well-established doctrines of Christianity and began to sift through the facade of modern-day evangelicalism. Uh, as I began my journey back, I remarried and attempted to plug back into the church. Uh, that was a very eye-opening experience that occurred over a number of years and crescendoed with the Trump 2020 re-election campaign. And that's when I really saw what evangelical Christianity had become and what their priorities really were, and that I could no longer be a part of something that extreme. Certainly not all evangelical churches are like that, but these, these types of issues and what's going what my experience was um, I think is pretty prevalent in evangelical churches, regardless of whether they're Pentecostal or Baptist or, or some other faith group. Um, you know, it's interesting because in Jesus' day, you had three primary groups that the Bible references. There were others, but there, these three were mentioned. One were the Pharisees. The Pharisees had correct theology, but had a narrow interpretation of Scripture and legalism. So they had the right theology. They understood what God said, but the way they applied it was distorted and extreme. Uh, you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees basically had bad theology. They denied the truth of Scripture. They denied the resurrection. Um, so they just were wrong theologically. And when you have bad theology, you are leading people astray. You're not telling the truth. And the other one were the Zealots. The Zealots were political extremists. Uh, you know, if you ask them, they're freedom fighters. But to everybody else, they were political extremists. Um, they, they fought against the Roman oppression, the Roman uh, occupation of, of the Jewish people. They were patriots. They were, uh, they, they were nationalists. Um, and even though what they were fighting for was a legitimate thing, to be free, but they still were political extremists they didn't really have a, a spiritual view. They had a political view and uh, taking of power for the sake of uh, what their agenda was. Now, what I want to do in this first episode is talk about what it means to be a mainstream evangelical. I've come up with 10 principles. I, you know, I don't know what to call these things, 10 pillars, 10 principles. I don't want to call them fundamentals because it sounds like a fundamentalist. Uh, I, I don't know. They're just 10 Ten principles of what it means to be um, an evangelical, a mainstream evangelical. Uh, and the reason I came up with this is because, you know, when you deconstruct, you know, and you're still going to walk in faith, you're still going to have a faith, you, you need to sit down and really think through some things and decide for yourself what it is you really believe and what, what direction you're going to go. So I came up with these ten principles. The first four are what it means to be an evangelical. If you, if you search, uh, do some research on what it means to be an evangelical, you'll come up, you'll come up with varying things, but primarily there's four fundamental principles that uh, a lot of people use. I think they're, they're fair to use. I use them. Uh, the first one is that the Bible is the ultimate authority for Christian faith. You know, the Scripture is the foundation our faith is built upon. Any other pri priority outside of that is an idol. A solid, balanced theology is the framework that holds our faith together. And we have to base that on Scripture. 
Um, within evangelicalism, though, I think you have people uh, many times using Scripture inappropriately. You have people that are going to um, uh, take things out of context or try to, or they have other concepts, other things that they're trying to promote, and then they just wrap the Scripture around it. You know, they try to justify it with Scripture. You know, when you study the Bible, when you, you know, anyone's been to Bible college at all and studied um, hermeneutics, you know, there's, there's two primary ways you can, you can approach Scripture. You can do exegesis or eisegesis. Exegesis means to pull out of. It means you're trying to find out what Scripture says. You're not, you're, you come to God, you come to the Bible with a blank slate, and you're asking God to show you what He is trying to say. Not what you want to say, but what he is trying to say. Your goal is to find out what God wants, what God's will is, and we do that by studying the Scripture. An eisegetical uh, approach is to put into. So you're, you have your view, you have your agenda, you have your thoughts, your way of doing things, and you try to find Scripture to back that up. Uh, and that, that is a, a really bad way to approach the Bible because you're going to get a distorted view of what Scripture is. Uh, number two, Christians should share the gospel with others. You know, evangelism, evangelical—that's that's, that's kind of what it means. It means to evangelize, to to share the gospel with others. The Great Commission says this in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty in the English Standard Version. It says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, that's our job as Christians. That everything we do as Christians needs to be filtered through this Scripture. Okay, what this is our job. This is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to go and make disciples. We are supposed to share the good news with people. That doesn't mean we're supposed to brainwash people. That doesn't mean we're supposed to manipulate people. It doesn't mean we're supposed to guilt people into doing things. We're not supposed to uh, get people to join a religion. God didn't tell us to do any of those things. He told us to go share the gospel with people, to introduce them to Jesus. It's not our job to make people do things. It's our job to introduce them to Jesus. And then once they know God, once they know Jesus, then we help them with their walk. But people that don't know God are not responsible to serve Him. You know, we, we, we have gotten this thing all out of whack, and we've got a lot of other things we're doing in the name of Christ that sometimes either distract from this mission or or actually get in the way and do the exact opposite. So we need to make sure that we always have our priorities right, and our priorities uh, are to preach the gospel. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and anything that gets in the way of this can certainly be determined, or can certainly be called an idol. So we need to be sure that we don't unnecessarily drive people away by getting involved in other movements, right? Number three, Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice made salvation available for everybody. Salvation is available to all, but there is a price to pay. You can't earn salvation, 
but it does cost you something. And let me give you a, a very concise um, uh, statement that, tell, that explains exactly what salvation is. Salvation is God's forgiveness of all our sins and promise of eternal life in exchange for our unconditional surrender to His will. So it's up to each individual to understand for themselves what that will is. In other words, it's not my responsibility to straighten out your life. It's your responsibility once you accept Christ in your life, once you accept this offer of salvation, it's your responsibility ultimately to know what's right and what's wrong, to study the scripture, and to and to determine what you need, how you need to be living your life. And that should be your goal. Not that you come to God with some external agenda and just use God or try to subjugate God to your will. Your goal is to uh, unconditionally surrender to His will. And you see, this is the part, I think, where people have some problem with, or some people have a problem with this. And, and some of it's legitimate, because what happens is you want to surrender your will to God, but then you have people that get in the way with religion, and they want you to surrender to them, when the truth is that's not really how it works. Ultimately, you're to surrender your will to God and Him alone. Number four, Faith in Jesus Christ alone is the only path to salvation. Jesus isn't one of many paths. He's the only one who paid the price for sin. It's not a question of exclusion, but more a question of what works. No other faith has an answer for how a holy God can fellowship with sinful man. Jesus is the only person that's paid the price for sin, that opened the door, that answered that question. How can sinful man have a relationship with a holy God? So faith in Jesus Christ alone. Um, you know, some people say, well, it doesn't matter how you get to God. It's any path. It's any way. Well, that's not what Scripture says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6, NASB. And for unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. That's John 8, 24, uh, NASB. Uh, the Apostle Paul also said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12, King James Version. Paul said, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 So it's this concept is not vague. It's not um, ambiguous. It's very clear that Jesus is the only path towards salvation. That's what Christians say. Now, if other people want to say, well, it doesn't matter whatever path you want to go, well, you really can't include Jesus in that if you're going to say any path works, because Jesus contradicted that. The apostles contradicted that. And again, it's very clear. It's not something um, that we need to look at outside of the Christian faith. Um, so let's look at the other, the other points, these other six points. And this is where it gets a little more specific as to what I'm talking about being a mainstream evangelical. Um, number five, we promote views that are beneficial to society regardless of whether they are considered conservative, progressive, or other. 
In other words, you look at issues. The church should be about making the world a better place. It shouldn't matter whether a solution to an issue is political or not, whether it be poverty, health care, employment rights, equal rights for women, racial discrimination, uh, consumer protection. When we address these issues, and, and whether or not we should address them, or to what degree we should address them, people need to decide that for themselves. But when we are going to address these issues, um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't matter um, what the politics is or what group advocates what. We need to do what's right because it's right. Okay, um, It's not a right or left issue. It's just a matter of what's the right thing to do. You know, I talked to a friend of mine one time, and he's a pastor, pretty conservative pastor, um, big-time Trump supporter. And we 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 were having we had a really nice lunch. We were having a conversation <laughs> way back. He brought that subject up, and I said, "Look, man, I I just I don't have anything against the guy, but I'm not really a big fan." And and he's you know he asked me why, and I explained to him. And I, you know, I talked about and one of the issues that came up was 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 poverty. You know, and I said, "Well, if people need help, they need help. I don't really see where it matters if you give the give to them individually, or it's a nonprofit organization that helps people." Or it's a church as a nonprofit organization that helps people, or it's the government that helps people. I don't really see the difference. Whatever we need to do, we need to help people. If they legitimately need help, I'm not talking about people that are lazy or people that are uh, scamming the system. There are certainly people that do that, but there are people that legitimately need help. And I don't see what the problem is, you know. And he just couldn't comprehend that because people have been brainwashed into thinking, that, you know, anytime the government helps somebody, that's socialism or that's somehow evil, you know. And, and I know what socialism is, and I think socialism, you know, full-blown socialism where the government completely controls the economy, that doesn't work. We know that, you know. But it, sh- it shouldn't matter. If let, Let's help people. Let's do what we need to do and find a way somewhere in the middle where we can do that. You know, it doesn't matter where, where that money comes from or how that help is distributed as long as it's done so in a way that's healthy and not creating dependency as much as possible. All right. Number six, we reject all forms of extremism, whether they be on the far right or on the far left. So um, America and probably most other countries don't really have a right versus left problem as much as they have an extremism problem. You know, one of the biggest struggles I had after deconstructing evangelical Christianity was finding other believers that weren't all the way left or all the way right. Um, And that's the reason I'm doing this and the reason why I'm trying to come up with a third path, a different way to view things, all right? I want people to understand they have a real third choice, a moderate or mainstream choice that doesn't require them to deny the truth of Scripture. Because I found when I started looking at what progressive Christianity represents, and certainly progressive Christianity or liberal Christianity, whatever you want to call it, certainly there's a spectrum there. There are people on the far left. There are people that are moderately left. But what I'm saying is you should be able to have a center-right view or a center-left view as opposed to having a far-right view or a far-left view. And what I found was a lot of people are kind of, uh, seems like, 
from what I saw and what I st when I did the research on this, uh, a lot of people kind of tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, it's like it's like I reject all this right wing nonsense, and instead of objectively looking at each individual issue and saying, well, you know, this probably has more of a liberal solution than a conservative one. Let's let's adopt the liberal solution that's that makes sense and not one that's all the way far left. But I just, I, I just don't understand um, how people can advocate something and be all the way to the left or all the way to the right. How, you, how can you be a thinking person, an objective thinking person, and buy it all? You know what I mean? I just find that hard to believe. Is it possible theoretically? Sure, it's possible theoretically. But I think people aren't really taking the time to be rational, to be uh, a thinking person, to take a step back and, and look at things objectively. And all of us, no matter how objective we want to be, all of us are prejudiced by something in our mind. I don't mean racially prejudiced. I just mean we have preconceived ideas about things. Um, so I think it's important that we, uh, and that's adopt. what this is about, you know, about what I'm doing here is that we adopt a view that's, you, you know, you don't have to be dead center. I mean, you can still be liberal, you can still be conservative, but just be a thoughtful conservative, be a thoughtful liberal. And if there's something on the other side that makes sense, then there's no, then you, you know, you can adopt that. You don't have to buy everything. Just because somebody takes that issue uh, and, and takes it to some extreme doesn't mean there's some core, there's not some core of truth in the issue. So don't reject that because this person's crazy or this person's, you know, just sounds like an idiot or they're an extremist. Don't throw the whole issue out. Find the stuff of that issue that makes sense and adopt that, incorporate that into your worldview. Uh, number seven, we reject the glorification of individual celebrity. This is a problem within the church as well as an issue when addressing the politicization of the church. This can quickly turn into idol worship, and Christians need to follow Jesus, not religious or political leaders. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, finding, you know, there are certain teachers that I like, that I identify with, others do not. They may, they may like someone else. Um, I like Andy Stanley. I like Brian Houston. Um, you know, I like people that are just preaching the gospel. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting something out of it. They're, they're giving me information I can use in life and, and be a better Christian and, and spread the gospel with. They're helping me build myself up, not for myself, not for selfish reasons, but they're helping me build myself up so I can give like Jesus told me to give. Um, but, you know, when we glorify individuals, this can be one of the traits of a cult. Uh, while most churches aren't cults, they certainly can be can have unhealthy practices in this area, and and they put their faith in people. And you know what happens when you put your faith in people? Because uh, either they're gonna just you're gonna realize they're just as human as the rest of us, or they're corrupt and they do something bad. And then when you have all your faith in that person and they fall, your faith tends to fall away too. That's why it's important to have your faith in Jesus, have your faith in the Word of God not in people. That way when people fall, that's on them. It's not on you. Because your faith is on the Word of God. Your faith is in God Himself. Uh, and, you know, another thing is, 
you know, the widespread adoption of absurd conspiracy theories by evangelicals during the last political cycle highlights this. When these ideas get mixed with Christian doctrine or we try to justify these ideas with our faith, it's a very dangerous path that can lead to heresy. And many times these ideas get uh, channeled into the church through, through people. It doesn't matter if they're political people or they're religious people, and many times there's overlap because you have religious people that have sold their souls to a political party. And it doesn't matter if it's a Republican Party, a Democratic Party, or a different party. They've sold their souls to these parties, and they've intermixed the truths of Scripture with their uh, philo philosophical or, 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 or political viewpoints, uh, and, and those things shouldn't be intermixed. Um, there's nothing wrong for advocating for things, whether it's on the right or the left, but you've got to really be careful when you mix that up uh, with the Christian faith. And a lot of times that happens with when we make an idol out of an individual, and then when we give them that, um, that authority, so to speak, in our lives, then when they say these things, it has a tremendous influence. And that's why it's important for us as individuals to never uh, give our total trust to any person on this earth. I don't care if they're your priest. I don't care if it's the Pope. I don't care if it's some famous preacher. You know, you may trust people, but you never completely trust people. You know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't just follow me. Follow Jesus. And if I'm ministering the Word of God to you, then follow me. And if I start preaching something else, then you need to stop following me and continue on your path with Jesus. And that's why it is vital that we know what the Scripture really says. And, and you know, when I went through deconstruction, I had to, I had to stop and reevaluate and look at things. Say, well, is that really what Jesus was saying? Is that really what the apostles are saying? Because Christianity is what Jesus did and said as an example and what he taught, and it's what the apostles did and said and what the example of the early church was. You know, we need to look at that. That needs to be our standard. All the religious nonsense and some of the absolutely horrible things people have done in the name of God and done in the name of Jesus uh, regarding religion, uh, that, that is, if that contradicts what Jesus and the apostles taught, then that was never legitimate. You know, you can't judge just because somebody, like for example, if somebody went out and, and, and killed somebody and they said, well, I did that because of something you said to them, you'd be like, yeah, but I never told you to kill anybody. I never told you to, to go do that stuff. That's got nothing to do with me. You did that. It's the same way with Christianity. Um, but, you know, there are those on the far left that just hate the church, hate God, and, and, and will do anything they can to defame the church. And they don't care whether or not it's true or not, whether what they're saying is true or not. They just want to defame the church. So if you have things that religious people did that usually has some political component to it um, in the past, in history, whether it be the Inquisition, whether it be um, uh, the Crusades, uh, whether it be the Salem Witch Trials, there's all kinds of uh, horrendous things that were done in the name of religion. That's not something we need to defend. That's something we need to condemn. That's something we need to say... This is not the gospel. This is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't kill anyone. 
you know, and I'm not here to bash Islam, but it, but this is a fact. This is just facts, and 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 Muslim theology is doesn't hide this. They're proud of it that um, you know their founder Muhammad, he went to battle, and he has a, a number of confirmed kills. That's part of what you learn when you're a Muslim, uh, and he you know, and it's up for you to judge whether that's appropriate or not. I'm not here to bash Islam. I'm here to say. Uh, this is what Christianity is. I'm just here to give you the facts. That's all I'm doing. And the fact is, Jesus killed no one. The apostles killed no one. It wasn't until the church sold its soul to the state under Constantine that those kinds of things started happening. People went to war in the name of God, something that was never we were never told to do, something that was never uh, our part of our mission. Our mission is to save the lost, not kill people in the name of God. Uh, number eight, we believe that evangelical churches should remain neutral regarding political affiliation, involvement, or promotion. You know, churches should be nonpartisan. No matter what the issue is or how right it may be, whenever we take a side, we end up offending half the people unnecessarily. Now, before I go any further, let me just be clear. I'm not saying you need to be wishy-washy or never take a stand on anything just so you can get along and not have a spine. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to be careful what you advocate as Christians. The church was never designed to be political. God called us to change hearts and minds from the inside out. If we do that, there are natural conclusions people will come to regarding external issues. The acquisition and retention of power through political means is a pagan or heathen methodology that rarely has anything to do with God. Listen, democracy is the best thing we have found as humans that maximizes personal freedom and effective government. But democracy itself is not perfect because people are not perfect. It's the best we can come up with as humans but it's not the way we were intended to have a society and interact with each other. It's because of our sin nature that this is uh, the way we do things. Now, if you have a benevolent dictatorship, uh, it's much more effective of getting things done. But what we've learned uh, as humans is that, generally speaking, benevolent dictatorships are very few and far between, and usually people will do bad things or enslave people uh, and use that power for their own purposes rather than the good, the common good. So that's why we use democracy. But democracy can be very burdensome, very bureaucratic, very inefficient. But as far as the state we are in as humans, whether you're religious or not religious, I think most of us will agree that that is the best way uh, for the human condition, the best way to govern ourselves. In the human condition, but you have to understand something. Politics is the acquisition and retention of power. Rarely do people in office do things for good reasons. Some, some, and some do. There are some people there that are sincere and are trying to do good, and they have their different ways of, of doing that. Um, but there are people that uh, just are evil to begin with, and the only reason they want to get elected is so they can use that to help themselves or help their friends or line their own pockets with money. Um, uh, other people, it's just about their ego more than the public good, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to stay in office and be reelected. 
other people start off well and then get corrupted by the power and the money, and they end up going down uh, the same path as everyone else. So what you have is a situation where um, politics is about getting this power. And many times the people that are professionals that are behind the scenes that run elections um, use a lot of misinformation. They use fallacy and myth, and they promote things. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's about how can I get this person elected? What strategy can I use? And this is their job, granted, but, but they're not really doing things for the sake of the common good. Some want to do that, but at the end of the day, a lot of these people that are these political handlers, and if you've ever seen a behind-the-scene uh, look at uh, politics, you'll, you'll see this. Um, and, and, you know, some people really like that, and they're interested in that, and that's something, but the reality is you're not really getting the result you want from that. And that's why it's so important that we as Christians uh, remain neutral during political affiliation. Because when that happens, when you tie yourself to these candidates or tie yourself to these issues and you stamp it with the name of Christ, there's a lot of ugly things behind the scene. There's a lot of messed up people that do things. And then the name of Jesus gets drugged through the mud and the name of Jesus gets tied to all this stuff. And, and I tell you, if there's ever a time in history where people should be able to see that, it would be now. And, you know, some will say, well, the other side, they do this. It doesn't matter what the other side does, okay? We're talking right now about the side you advocate, whichever side that is. That's the problem here, okay, is that we advocate this stuff and that uh, the name of Jesus gets tied to it and then the name of Jesus gets drugged through the mud. Number nine. We believe the church should stay out of political matters as much as possible, except for the ability to preach the gospel or extreme oppression. You know, it's always tempting to jump into the political fray. But for the reputation of the gospel, we need to be very careful how we do this. There are many issues that are legitimate, but when you begin to advocate them in a partisan political manner, you drag all the garbage that's associated with the politics and the name of Christ gets associated with that. Uh, when people on the far left want to inhibit the preaching of the gospel by tapping churches and Christian educational systems, uh, or Christian educational institutions, that's something we need to fight for. You have discrimination or censorship of evangelicals on social media platforms also. Granted, some of that may be justified when you have evangelicals that are primarily political entities hiding under a religious cloak. Because you have people that will... Uh, have an issue, and then they frame it in some type of religious uh, point of view uh, because they know they can motivate people and they can manipulate the masses using that as an issue. Okay, and sometimes people say some things that are very extreme and things that can be considered dangerous for society, and uh, and that's a lot of times what gets censored, not the fact that it's religious in nature. You know, if you're just preaching the gospel and you do it correctly, and it's not done with some agenda or it's not done in an extreme way, uh, it's pretty rare that you would be censored because there's no reason for it. Usually when people get censored, it's because of some extremism or something uh, just dumb that they're doing or something they're trying to promote that's just 
um, way off as far as uh, being theologically sound. Um, there are justifiable movements that, um, that would be appro appropriate for Christians to intervene in uh, outside of the issue of preaching the gospel. One would be, example would be um, some of the Christian leaders that oppose Hitler. Obviously, it's a very extreme example. I think everybody agrees that Hitler was evil, so he always, you know, people always try to tag the other side to Hitler, or Nazism, or fascism, or whatever. But, you know, you had people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, and other uh, uh, Catholic leaders that, that opposed him. Um, you know, and, it's, and, and when you study history, you find that Hitler got, in the beginning when he ran for office, he got a, you know, a very, very large majority of support from both the Catholic and the, uh, the Lutheran um, Church. And that's pretty common regarding conservative candidates. You're going to get a lot of people on the right um, that, that will support that. A lot of religious people identify with that. Um, and like all politicians, they tell you what you want to hear in the beginning, and then once they get into office, then they let you know what they're really all about. Um, but after that happened, even though he did get a lot of support from religious leaders, after that, you found that there were people like Bonhoeffer and others that stood up and said, no, this isn't right. This is not who we are. This is not something we should support. We need to stand up as people of faith, as Christians, against this type of oppression. Now, when you do that and how you do that, I think, you know, you can't really draw a hard line here as to when that's appropriate. But I think the Christian needs to be very reserved in when to jump into something like that. It needs to be really extreme. Uh, another a good example would be um, the uh, American racial civil rights movement. You know, that was Martin Luther King. Set an excellent example of how that should be handled. You know, Martin Luther King did not run for office. He certainly advocated some policy positions, but he refused to be violent. And he simply went around preaching messages, changing hearts and minds. Because see, that's what you have to do first. That is the most uh, the most powerful aspect of any of these things is the ability to change hearts and minds. Because if you don't have hearts and minds, even when you do get past what you want past, it's not going to stay there. I think a good example of that would be prohibition. You know, a lot of religious leaders, you know, against alcohol, you know, alcoholism is a disease. It's not a good thing. A lot of problems come from it. But, you know, people want to drink. The majority do. They, they still do. And, then, and that's not going to change. So even when you got the legislation through, it didn't last, you know. Um, so you have to change hearts and minds. And that's what Martin Luther King did. And it took the death of John F. Kennedy um, before Lyndon B. Johnson uh, worked to uh, put that policy into place. And LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson, was not exactly, he was from Texas and uh, probably not really uh, the most woke individual at that time. He was kind of a dirty politician. But he felt an obligation to John F. Kennedy, and to his, and, and I think what he really did, did that was noble. He said, "We're gonna, we're gonna finish this agenda because nobody's gonna kill the president of the United States, and then we're not and, and stop something we're trying to do. That's not how we as a country um, are are gonna do things." So, my point here is that Martin Luther King set the stage for that. He changed hearts and minds because he didn't 
advocate violence, because he followed the teachings of Christ, because he taught about love. He taught about light. He taught about exposing the darkness and walking in love toward people. And that still has a tremendous impact in the civil rights movement, you know, and with all the problems, you know, people always want to point out the extremes, but by and large, the, the civil rights movement, the racial part of it, um, in this country, people on the left, are, by and large, are peaceful. You know, they're, they're not the ones burning down buildings and rioting and, and stealing. Most of the people that do that are people that take advantage of the situation or they're radicals or somebody that's been bust in. But the civil rights movement, for the most part, is very peaceful. Number 10, if the church does involve itself in political matters, it should do so in a nonpartisan, balanced manner that is consistent with Scripture. And we reject Christian nationalism. And we'll have an entire, uh, an entire podcast on just Christian nationalism. We're not going to go into that today, but what that is and what that represents. Um, you know, it would be nice to stay out of these political matters completely, but when you have so many issues on the right that paint a picture so contrary to the principles taught and lived out by Jesus and the apostles, it's necessary to speak out. I cannot overemphasize how vitally important it is that this is done in a way that doesn't taint the gospel. Our mission is to save the lost, not reform Gentile nations using the political process and legislation. There are plenty of issues we can involve ourselves in, but we need to be careful not to tie the name of Jesus to it as much as possible. So, this is the part where you really, you really have to walk on a razor's edge as far as uh, determining how we interact with the world. So, like I said, the first thing is, the first principle is, we need to not involve ourselves in political matters as much as humanly possible. But sometimes you get drawn into it because people on the right have so misrepresented the gospel and misrepresented the principles in the gospel. When you look at the issues that are associated with the right and with people of faith and with the evangelical conservative religious Christians, um, yeah, sure, you have the pro-life movement, you know, advocate life, not, not the death of, of the unborn, okay. You want to advocate religious freedom. Okay, you want to be pro-Israel and support the Israeli people and be against anti-Semitism. Okay, that's great. But what about helping the poor? What about helping the sick? You know, what about helping people be treated equally? What about, you know, all these other issues? There, there's, there are, what about the environment? The first command that God gave to, to humanity, to Adam, was, you know, to take care of the garden, to keep it, you know, to, to tend to it you know, to tend to our environment. Um, there are so many issues that Christians can, uh, can be a part of and not have to rewrite the Bible. And there are so many things we can do that maybe don't even have a political uh, uh, aspect to it. But the bottom line is, no matter what we do, no matter how we try to cut this, the most important thing is that we never taint the gospel. We never taint Jesus's reputation. So I think it's. Uh, I think at this point in time, it's really, really vital that we make sure people understand what Jesus really was about. And there's a lot of issues on the left that line up with Scripture. Not all of them, and certainly there are extremes within some of these issues. 
Um, but it, it's the idea that you have to be conservative or you have to be Republican to be a good Christian. Uh, that's absolutely absurd. Okay, it's absolutely absurd. You need to look at stuff for yourself. You need to look at things and decide for yourself based on reason, based on facts, in some cases based on science. Um, you know, the Bible says so is not a good reason for public policy. You need to say, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it. You can't just quote Scripture to people. Now, it very well may be that that view you have does line up with Scripture. You know, nobody's for capital murder. Capital murder is wrong. When you take the life of another human being just because you want to kill them, because you want them out of the way for whatever reason, and you do that deliberately and knowingly, you murder somebody, um, that you could quote scripture for that, or you could say we can't go around killing everybody because society wouldn't be able to survive, and it's not right. Everybody agrees with that, but you don't make a religious argument for that. You know, you need to make a regular argument. Um, you need to make an argument based on reason. But we'll go into that when we talk about Christian nationalism. But the whole point here is that people have options. People don't need to be all the way right or all the way left. You can think for yourselves. You can find some, some places in the middle. And I, I would just encourage you um, to do what I did, which is to just reevaluate your walk, reevaluate your life, ask yourself, is this something I can support? If it's something you can support and it doesn't violate Scripture, then I think you should be able to do it. You know, there's no reason why you can't advocate um, some of these different principles, di these different uh, movements, uh, as long as you're not uh, violating Scripture. If it's something that, that violates Scripture, then maybe you need to rethink that, you know, or you think it violates Scripture. You need to rethink that. But, um, but that's the whole point of this. I really, uh, as we go forward, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about Christian living. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, not just uh, political issues. But uh, I just want to create a, uh, an environment where people can be free, people can think for themselves, um, and people can move forward in their lives without being tied to all the, these unhealthy and toxic um, uh, situations that we have within evangelical Christianity today. So I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope you'll, you'll give us an opportunity in the future to uh, explore some other issues and have a discussion about it. Um, you know, give us a little bit of grace here as we, as we begin to go, go down this journey and begin to, to talk about these things. Uh, we hope to improve the podcast as we move on. But uh, thanks for listening. God bless you.